Our sermon text for today is from Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. So if you guys would please flip to Hebrews. And then if you guys would please stand for the reading of God's word. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip with uh, you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Happy Easter to you. It's good to gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, I love uh, seeing everybody here worshiping, singing. As Becky said, if you're new here, come in to visit, checking out who Jesus is, maybe here uh, to see a friend get baptized this morning. Whatever it happens to be, so grateful that God has brought you to gather with us this morning on this Easter Sunday. Before we jump into God's word, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time in his word this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, what a great day today is to gather together. We are only here this morning because of what we focus on and remember today, that Christ is risen. Lord, there's no reason for us to be here apart from that truth, from that reality. So Lord, as we open up your word this morning and talk about that truth and that reality, I pray that you'd help us to take in and receive what you have for us this morning. I pray that you would help us to see that this isn't just some even piece of factual information just to kind of believe intellectually with our minds, but actually to see how it impacts our life here and now. And so, Lord, we just ask right now that the Holy Spirit would work in this time. Lord, would you allow the Holy Spirit to work through the preaching of your word this morning? Lord, I pray that I might decrease and that Christ might increase this morning. May you be honored. May you be glorified. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, you and I find ourselves right now in, in a time in history where there's a lot of chaos and confusion in the world around us. If we just look kind of globally at the global level, there's seemingly geopolitical tensions and conflict and concern and wars in what it seems like kind of all over the world right now. So sometimes it feels like there's a bit of global instability. If we even just look on a national level, there's lots of challenges and things going on in our own country right now that, that are difficult and confusing, confusing and sometimes maybe seem a bit chaotic. There's lots of political tension right now. There's heated debates that are happening once again related to things like gun control. There's growing awareness and even pushback against the existence of systemic injustice and racial injustices and socioeconomic disparities. There's ongoing debates and arguments over immigration, growing exposure to the prevalence of sexual abuse and misconduct in what seems like almost every sphere of our culture. And all of those things can be challenging for us, challenging for us to deal with, challenging for us to process through, to know what to do with. And that doesn't include the chaos and confusion that might exist in your very own life right now. There are people here today that are wrestling with all kinds of things, wrestling with sickness and suffering, cancer, chronic health issues depression, 
and anxiety, broken relationships, loneliness. Some of you this morning are struggling with uncertainty about your future. Dealing with weariness and weakness and just our own shortcomings and struggles with sin. And it can be a lot. It can be a lot to deal with. At times it can seem out of control or overwhelming and leave us at a loss. And on top of that, I think to kind of add fuel to the fire of already what's going on outside is that all of us, I think, if we're honest with ourselves at least, have this insatiable desire for two things, knowledge and control. And we desire to be in control of our lives. We desire to be in control of what's going on around us. And so we desire to know what's going on and to know why something's happening. Because we believe that when we know, we will be in control. And when we're in control, then we'll have peace. Well, this Easter Sunday, I am so thankful that God has brought all of us to gather together this morning. I'm thankful God brought you here in the midst of the chaos of our world and maybe the chaos and confusion of your own life. If this is your first time gathering with us again, we're just grateful that God has brought you here. We've been in a sermon series in our church for almost the last year walking through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. It's actually a letter that a pastor wrote to a group of struggling people, a struggling church who are, who are wrestling with difficulty in their own life. A church that found itself in difficult circumstances and was dealing with hostility and persecution, various trials and challenges. And all of those things, what they were doing for this church, for this small group of people, was causing them to teeter and be tempted to walk away from Jesus. Maybe some of you this morning are in that same place, teetering, tempted right now to walk away from Jesus. Struggling in your faith. Maybe, maybe some of you this morning have already walked away from Jesus. Maybe some of you that are here this morning have never really trusted in Christ. You've heard a lot about Jesus, but you've always kind of kept him at an arm's distance. Maybe some of you this morning don't know much about Jesus at all. And maybe some of you this morning think that you know Jesus, but don't actually have a relationship with him. But no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, in God's providence, we're here together today. In God's providence, we're here together today to look at these last few lines in this glorious letter on this Easter Sunday. A day where we take time to acknowledge and celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And I'm thankful to be with you today. And my hope is that whether you are a follower of Jesus, you're strong in your faith right now, and you're, you're, you're here today to celebrate. You're excited that Christ is risen. If that's you this morning, or you're here this morning, you're just kind of checking out who Jesus is. Or maybe you came this morning, you said, I'm not really going to listen to anything that's said or sung this morning. I'm just here to be with a friend. Maybe you find yourself somewhere in between all of that. No matter where you're at on your journey, my hope is this morning that God will use his, this time in his word to encourage you, to help you, to see that there's hope and there's peace that is always available to you. And it comes from our resurrecting God. And it comes in the midst of a broken down world. So let's go ahead and open up our scriptures this morning to Hebrews 13 and dive into God's word 
and see what he has to say for us to us this morning. As we come to these verses at the end of Hebrews 13 that Becky just read, something that we have been coming back to over and over again throughout this series in the book of Hebrews is a central theme to the book of Hebrews, and that is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than anything this world can offer to you. He's better than anything that this world promises to you. And here in these closing verses in the book of Hebrews, the author puts an exclamation point on why that's the case. Verses 20 through 21, what the author's doing here is he's giving a a benediction. And a benediction is a, a blessing that's spoken over God's people. It's a pronouncement, a declaration of hope. It's being spoken to and over these struggling followers of Jesus. And a key word for us to take note of is the first word in verse 20, now, now. See, this is about a present reality. It's about real life. This isn't some ethereal, hypothetical blessing. It exists in time and space, and it's given to real people. And because the word of God is living and active, it's for all of God's people for all time. That means that this is still a timeless truth. And it's spoken into your life over you this morning as a specific group of people gathered together under God's word. It's like if I wrote you a note today on a piece of paper and what I wrote on there is today the sun will set. Well, you can read that every single day from here on out and that will be true of that day. This is the same thing. When he says now to you, he's saying now in this moment, this is for you. But notice something else about what he says here. He says now, but then everything he says after this is all passive to us. He he doesn't say now you get to work. Now you try harder. Now you figure it out. Make it happen on your own. No, he says now may the God of peace, may the God of peace who brought Again, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now may he do this work. It's God who's doing something. And the thing that he's doing is amazing and glorious and hope-filled for us this morning. But first, let's just ask this question. Who is this God? Well, he gives us a couple of descriptions of him. He says he is the God of peace. But this isn't just any kind of peace. Peace, in the English language, most often for us, means the absence of conflict. When when we think about the word peace, if I have peace with someone, if we're having peace talks, it's usually the focus of that is the absence of conflict. But the biblical word for peace, the biblical idea of peace, isn't simply the absence of conflict. It certainly includes that, but it's much more far-reaching. It means wholeness and harmony. It has the idea of completeness and unity. It's the Hebrew word shalom. And this kind of peace, this shalom, it doesn't exist apart from God. See, what we see here is this isn't just kind of external to him. It's not like peace is something that God has to go and discover or find, and then after he finds it, he can give it to you. No, he is the God of peace. Because he's both the source of shalom and the giver of shalom. And the author is stating this truth 
He's stating this characteristic about God, this characteristic that's been spoken of about God throughout all of the scriptures, and he's speaking it to this little group of Jesus followers that are struggling. And he's saying this is significant for you to pay attention to. Because for this group of people, they're struggling within their own community with relationships with one another. They're struggling because there's pressure from outside of their community coming in on them. And they found themselves in a place of chaos. They found themselves in a place of uncertainty. And what they lacked in that moment was peace. Friend, do you lack peace this morning? Have you, in your life right now, do you have the shalom of God? You see, God, though, is not only the God of peace. This text also tells us that he is the God of the resurrection. Look at verse 20 again. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Our God is a resurrecting God. And on a Friday, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth went to a cross. He was nailed to a Roman cross, and he was done, that was done to him to appease the, the, the rabble of religious leaders that didn't want him around anymore. They wanted him dead. And they wanted him dead because he preached the good news of the kingdom of God, the fullness of the kingdom of God, where the shalom of God would be restored under the lordship and kingship of Jesus. And that came in direct conflict with their idea of the kingdom, the kingdom of self. And so these Roman authorities handed Jesus over to be beaten. And they handed Jesus over to be crucified. His hands and his feet nailed to a rough-hewn wood beam to die. And almost all of his friends scattered and ran. Almost all of his friends abandoned him to an excruciating and atrocious death. And so Jesus hangs there on the cross, having claimed to be the very Son of God and the Savior of the world, with King of the Jews written over his head to mock him for what he'd claimed about himself. He hung on that cross, gasping for breath, looking up to the sky, crying out in anguish, even to, only to his God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was utterly alone, desolate, in a place of despair and chaos and confusion. And on that Friday, he breathed his last. Or so it seemed. Because on Sunday morning, when a few women who had been his followers went to the tomb where he was buried, they arrived, but they didn't find Jesus. Instead, they found an open tomb, an empty tomb, and there in that tomb was an angel of the Lord who declared to them, He's not here! He's risen! He's risen! Our Savior is alive! How is that possible? Our scripture tells us this morning, because the God of peace brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Who is this Jesus? I mean, why all of this going on with this Jesus? Why was he crucified in the first place? Well, the scripture tells us that we just read that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is our risen Savior and shepherd, and he's qualified to do that because he shed his blood, enabling and enacting a new and eternal covenant. What does that mean? Simply this. 
There can't just be a waving of the wand to erase our transgression and our rebellion. What the Bible calls sin, that we've rebelled against God, that we've turned our back on him, that we desire to be our own God, our own Lord, our own King. And God can't just brush over that in his holiness. Sin must be dealt with. In order for God to continue to be holy and continue to be just in everything that he does, sin must be dealt with. But in an astonishing move, what God does is he comes himself to remedy our greatest issue, enabling us to be restored to himself through the sacrifice of his son. See, God is completely holy and perfect, but when we rebel against him and we have sin, it creates a separation between us and God. God can't be in relationship with someone that's unholy. And and it doesn't just put us on this level playing field where God's over here and we're over here. God is high and lifted up and we are forever lower than him. Unable to be remedy our situation with him. Yet God comes to us to fix that problem. To remedy that. And the way he does that is there has to be a perfect sacrifice. Someone who can stand in our place as a substitute who's lived a perfect life who doesn't deserve death, who doesn't deserve punishment, but stands in our place to take on our sin so that we might be reconciled to God. Jesus himself bore our sin on his back on the tree that you, that I, that all of us might die to sin and live to righteousness. It was by his wounds that you're healed. In the resurrection, the resurrection is the the, the exclamation point, the, the declaration that it's been accepted. That what Christ did for you on the cross, that God accepted that as payment for your sin. It's the ultimate confirmation code. Right? Like if you go online and you buy something or you sign up for something or you purchase tickets, you just kind of wait, right, until it says it's been paid for. They're yours now. The resurrection is the ultimate confirmation code. It's surety saying yes and amen. Christ has paid for it all. In this covenant, this promise, it's God declaring to you something he promised long, long ago. That he said that he will be your God and you will be his people. Because Christ has paid for your sin. It's a declaration of a promise that he will give you a renewed heart and a restored relationship with the living God. Redeeming you from your sin and rebellion. By paying the penalty that you deserve and making you new through the finished work of his son, our Savior, King Jesus. It's in the cross of Christ that justice and mercy meet. The God gets full justice in that, that sin has been paid for, and he lavishes mercy. He lavishes grace upon you. That by faith you can experience redemption. That is the good news of the gospel. God has made a way. It's all his doing, all his work, all his accomplishment. See, that fact that this is an eternal covenant, what that means to us, let's not skip over that word eternal. It means that there never needs to be another one. It's done. Jesus is and always will be the way and the only way to be reconciled to God, forgiven and set free. So let me ask you this morning, have you truly trusted in Christ and what he's done for you? Turning away from yourself, turning away from sin, and calling on the name of Jesus to be saved. If not, I I implore you today to do that.
I implore you today to trust in Christ, to ask him to save you. There's no better time. See, something key we need to see in this text that we're looking at in Hebrews this morning is that the reason Jesus' sacrifice is able to endure forever is because Jesus endures forever. He's alive. This new covenant is put into force. It's ratified and upheld by the resurrection of Christ. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the preeminent way to declare to the world that Jesus is better. Everything else and everyone else will come and go. All the promises of the world will come and go. But as Hebrews 13, 8 tells us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So why does this matter for us today? Why does this matter here and now? Well, that's the point of the rest of this text. Read it again. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The resurrecting God of peace who has given us the risen shepherd, equips you with everything good that you need to live in this life in the here and now. Romans 8, 31 and 32 declares the same truth. It says, what then shall we say to these things? As we're walking through challenges, as we're walking through suffering, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us, graciously give us all things? But what's the purpose of that? Why does he give us everything good? It's not just to make us happy and satisfied and comfortable. He gives us everything good so that you and I may do his will. So that he might work in us to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. To make us more like Jesus. So that we can live a life pleasing to him and glorifying to him in this world now. While we're here now. See, you and I are called to do his will, not our will. We're called to follow him where he would lead us. To live a life that gives glory to God instead of stealing glory from God. And we don't do that to earn something from him. We do this now because when you meet Jesus, everything changes for you. Because Christ is risen and is your risen shepherd, he now guides you. He now leads you just like a shepherd does. He feeds you and cares for you and leads you to still waters and green pastures. And he lays down his life for you. You and I can keep moving forward in faith. We can keep moving forward in faithfulness even when things are hard. Even when it requires sacrifice. Even in a hostile world. Because Christ is risen. You can keep believing. You can keep living like Jesus is better. But don't miss this. How does he do this? He doesn't just say, go do this on your own. It's through Christ. Through the once dead, now risen Savior. You keep believing. You keep living like this. That Jesus is better because he's risen. See, in a broken world, a world where sin abounds both within us and all around us, it's through Christ. Through our being united with him. 
As we read earlier in Romans 6, being united with him, so connected to him in, by, and through his death and his resurrection that we can live the life that God has called us to live for our good and his glory. It's the only way that you and I can even survive in this life. As one scholar writes, the work of God makes man's work possible. For as Jesus himself said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if Jesus isn't risen, then that doesn't matter. What is going to enable you to live a life different from the world? What's going to enable you to have peace during difficulty and challenge in your life, to be faithful? What's going to enable you to become more like Jesus, to not live a self-focused life? Certainly not yourself. No, it's the power and peace of our resurrecting God and our risen shepherd. See, in the same way that God led Jesus out of the grave, Jesus now leads you out of sin and darkness. He leads you out of the grave to walk with him, to experience spiritual resurrection. And the reality is there is no hope in this life apart from the risen Christ. See, in a chaotic and at times confusing world, in the very chaos and confusion of your very own life, you can have peace with God because the resurrecting God of peace gives you peace through the risen shepherd. So do you know him? Have you experienced his power and peace? Now, I want to be careful here Because the resurrecting power and peace of our God and King that's working in you and for your good and his glory doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Following Jesus doesn't mean that everything is going to work out in the way that's going to make you happy and comfortable in this life. That it's always going to go well for you in this life. We live in a world that's set against God. We live in a world where there's an enemy who hates God. And he hates the image of God that all of us bear, and he will do anything and everything to destroy that. We live in a physical world that's reeling from the effects of sin. We ourselves still battle and wage war. We're we're a conflicted self at times where if we have the Holy Spirit, we know Christ, we want to honor him in everything we do, yet at the very same time, we we struggle with wanting to honor ourselves, making much of ourselves. And so much of the spirituality and worldviews that exist today kind of view life as circular. It's kind of a back and forth between life and death. It just kind of goes around and around, right? The cutesy way of saying that is a circle of life. Right? Like, what a weird thing to sing about. The Lion King, right? Like, let's sing about the circle of life where everybody dies. But hey, everybody's going to live again. And right? We sing that. It's all, it sounds all happy. We're trying to give hope for tomorrow, but it's in the midst of the tragedy of today. But Paul Miller, in his book, A Loving Life, states this, this kind of groundless optimism always ends in cynicism and despair. Why? Because when we start to realize if that's all there is, is just life and death and then life and death and then life and death over and over and over again, the constant of doing things over and over and over again in your life, and a seemingly endless monotony of the mundane can easily lead someone to be hopeless. Because it just seems like meaninglessness. Miller goes on to say the circle of life crushes us. 
But that's not how God has told us what life looks like. That's not how God's people see life. See, life isn't circular. Life is a line that curves upward. So we're not trapped in a cycle of despair, but a journey of hope. And it's Jesus who shows us that journey. It's Jesus who invites us into that journey. And it's Jesus who guides us along the way. It's what Miller calls a J-curve. Right? You know the shape of a J, right? Picture in your mind. Starts over here, goes down, and goes up. This J-curve. See, instead of the circle of life and death on repeat, it starts over here with life. It starts over here. We're, we're alive. We're, we're breathing. We're living. But the goal isn't life, 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 and then death. No, the goal is resurrection. Resurrection, where we'll experience the fullness of the presence of God, where we'll experience the fullness of the glory of God, where we ourselves will be made fully like Christ glorified into that place where sin no longer has a hold on us anymore and we no longer experience the effect of sin. And so we have life over here and resurrection up here, but what most of us want to do is go from life to resurrection. But what, happens to ha- what has to happen first before you can get to resurrection? Death. Death has to happen first. And it goes down before it goes back up again. See, spiritually speaking, we must all die little and at times large deaths in order to experience the transformational power and peace of resurrection. Following Jesus into death and with Jesus rising again to new life. What might God be calling you to die to today in your own life? Miller again says, God permits our lives to become overwhelming putting us on the downward slope of the J-curve so we come to the end of ourselves. Why? Because it's there in that moment that God and God alone can do the resurrecting work of redemption and transformation, equipping you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, making you more like his son. And some of you likely this morning are in a place of death. The J-curve makes sense to you. You've been in places of life where right now you find yourself on that downward slope. Or maybe someone you know. And it's just, it may be a struggle with sin right now. Or just a struggle with suffering in some way in your life. And you may be wondering, when then will resurrection come? When's it going to turn upward for me? One of my favorite bands is a, is a band called King's Kaleidoscope. And they have a two-part song that's called In This Ocean. And during the interlude between part one and two, they sing these words. Will you ever hear me call your name? Will you keep me when I can't think straight? How am I supposed to live afraid? I just wish this all would change. Are we drifting out here all alone in this haunted, empty, great unknown? Will you really come and bring shalom? Will you breathe hope in my bones? Do you ever feel that way? God, are you ever going to do this? Are you ever going to come and bring shalom? Will you really breathe hope in my bones? 
listen, struggle isn't an indication of weak faith. It's an indication of real life. It's real life. And it shows us how much we still, right now, need the hope of our resurrecting God and risen shepherd. See, the whole book of Hebrews and this text right here is a reminder that God will do. God will do this resurrecting and restoring work in your life if you are united to Jesus. And he might bring restoration and healing now or it might not be until the new heavens and the final resurrection. But we have hope. We have hope because whether full restoration comes now or then, we can endure all things because Christ is raised. The death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything for us. And the death and resurrection of Jesus shows us that even now as we live and as we wait in a broken world marred by sin and its effects through the seemingly worst of circumstances, God can bring redemption. And maybe not in the way that you most desire. Maybe not in the way that answers the question why, but in the way that he gets the greatest glory. See, you and I know when all the chaos will end. You and I know when all the confusion will end, when all the suffering of our world and our lives will ultimately and finally and fully end because our risen Savior has said, I will come again and I will make all things new. See, this is not a circle of life. It's a journey of hope to a greater and eternal glory when we will see our resurrecting God and our risen shepherd face to face and he will wipe every tear off of your face and every ounce of suffering will be lifted and removed and sin and death shall be no more. And because of that hope, you and I then are able to find peace not when suffering is gone or removed but in the midst of it. We can help one another with that along the way. Because sometimes you're not going to be able to believe that. You're going to struggle to believe it, but you've got a room full of people this morning that want to help you with that, and you can help with them with that too. We're in it together. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, very present help in trouble. Therefore, because of who he is, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Friends, no matter what's going on in your life right now or what might happen in your life in the future, don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Hold fast to your resurrecting God and risen shepherd. He really is better than anything that this world offers or promises to you. And really, there's only one thing left to do in light of this glorious truth. It's to glorify God. Verse 21 ends with that, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember, this is a benediction. It's a declarative blessing over Jesus' church soaked in the truth about God in the midst of their present struggles. So the same is true for you today, now. Because our resurrecting God is still the same and he's still at work in you and through you and among you. And he's still giving hope and changing lives and calling people to himself and making them more like Jesus. Listen, you are not here by chance today. 
I don't believe in that. I believe in the intentional plans of a resurrecting God who today desires to give you hope and change your life. And in a moment, we're going to hear and see two people testify to how God has done just that. As they share their stories and take a step to be baptized, and we get to celebrate with them. A picture of resurrection taking place right before our very eyes, seeing someone that's crossed from death to life in Jesus. And then we're going to respond and worship together, singing songs of praise together because Christ is risen. Remember when I prayed at the beginning, we, there's no reason for us to be here if Jesus isn't alive. I'm sure we could all think of other things that we would do on a Sunday morning, but we gather every week because he is. So don't rush past another Easter Sunday and rush past the significance of our resurrecting God and risen shepherd for your life today. Friends, where do you need the resurrecting power of our God right here and right now? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, starting a chaotic time that ended in his crucifixion, he gathered together with his disciples in a small room. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we gather together, we eat this bread and we drink this cup together. And when we do that, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So this Easter Sunday, may you come forward rejoicing in the grace and goodness of our resurrecting God and risen shepherd who has enacted an eternal covenant, redeeming you, reconciling you, and who will one day fully restore you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then again, we are so grateful that God brought you to gather with us this morning. But we just ask you this morning not to come forward to take communion, And the reason for that is not to to make you feel awkward or weird. This is a declaration of our hope in Jesus, that our only hope is Jesus. And so if you don't yet know Christ, we just want to invite you, instead of taking communion, to take Christ today. That you just sit in your seat, and the way that you would respond first is by turning to God in prayer and saying, God, I need you. I need you to save me. I don't even know exactly what that looks like or means to follow Jesus, but I know I need Jesus. Man, stay in your seat, pray that to God, and then let somebody around you know that this morning. I'm going to be hanging down front after the service. I'd love to talk with you or pray with you. And this church community would love to journey with you, to help you understand what it means to know Christ and to follow Christ and see your life fully transformed by Christ. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables in the front or the tables in the back, tear off a piece of bread, take a small cup to drink, and what Christ has done for you, will be spoken over you this morning. During communion, we're going to have a song that's going to be sung. And it's something if you'd like to sing, you certainly can, but it's more meant to be sung over you. So feel free just to hang in your seat, listen to the song sung, read the words, and allow the truth of the gospel to once again penetrate your heart and mind and lead you to worship. Then after communion, we're going to have baptisms and celebrate this new life in Christ. Kids are going to come into the room to see that happen too. So parents, if you would go to the back after you take communion to pick up your kiddos so they can come and sit with you and experience and witness 
these baptisms, that'd be great too. And then we're going to sing together. So come forward when you're ready, but let me pray for us now. Father, we give you thanks for today. We give you thanks because you are a gracious and glorious God. We praise your name this morning. Resurrecting God of peace, we praise you. We praise our risen shepherd this morning. God, would you give us hope today? Lord, we're struggling in different ways. Every person at some level struggles, and some of us more significantly than others right now. Would you bring hope, hope in the resurrecting power of our risen Savior? Father, I pray that you would call people to yourself. Help us to be a church family that encourages one another that because Jesus is risen, he is better. Because Jesus is risen, he is better than anything this world offers or promises to us. Lord, would you allow us now to respond in worship, to sing loudly and with joy, to praise your name because you've called us to yourself. We love you. We thank you for your rich and lavish grace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.